You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley, and we really appreciate you guys tuning in for another episode here talking about Tennessee Vols and Lady Vols basketball. Gene, it's right in the middle of the offseason. We're in the early part of June here. Summer is upon us. It has already felt like summer in Knoxville uh, for a little bit here in East Tennessee with the humidity, the heat. It's going to get even hotter. It's going to get even more humid. But that also, right now, because the pandemic, thank- thankfully, is, you know, the numbers are going down, people are getting vaccinated, things are opening back up. We mentioned it last podcast, Tennessee is starting to have recruits come on campus and come visit. I think we mentioned last podcast, Tennessee had a five-star Texas guard, Cason Wallace, on campus um, for his visit. Everything seems to be, I think, from the interviews that uh, were mentioned by uh, Go Vols Tour 7, by VolQuest, seemed like he had a, a really good visit. You know, that's, that's to be expected. You don't typically have bad official visits to schools, uh, especially when they're you know, your first visit. And, you know, probably, I think, that's probably his first visit to Tennessee, I would imagine, ever. Um, but, you know, especially your first visit, you've been able to even go on, period, in, you know, almost a year and a half. But it seemed like he had a good visit. Tennessee also, as of uh, recording this podcast, is about, or actually currently has, a five-star small forward and a kid out of, uh, we mentioned before in the podcast, in-state prospect, from Antioch, Brandon Miller is on campus, and he's soon to be joined. I believe in a couple of days here. I want to say Thursday or Friday, um, the tenth or, or tenth or eleventh, I believe. B.J. Edwards uh, from Knox Catholic, a high four-star kid, point guard, is going to be coming and visiting with him as well. So they're going to be in, on campus at the same time. Gene, before we kind of break down and, and kind of get into our uh, main topic of this podcast, you've seen both of these players play, right? I know, I know we've talked a lot about BJ Edwards, but I'm, I'm curious, you've seen Brandon Miller talk or play or, or not, because I, I feel like you've mentioned him before in the podcast. I know when I had Brandon Martin um, on the show as a guest host a couple weeks ago, he mentioned getting to see Brandon Miller play, I believe. Um, I know he got to see Kenny Chandler play recently too, but uh, if you have seen Brandon Miller play, I'm curious your thoughts on him because he seems like um, the type of guy who, will be a, a I, I don't know how good of a basketball player he is but he seems like a, a superb athlete at least from his his build and um for what i've heard about him and stuff yeah i saw him um in murfreesboro and it was one of those things for you know for the state tournament and um what was interesting is he was very much like a man among boys and just how he played like you could just see that you could just see like just how special he was as a basketball player and it's his size his his length i think one of the quick the one of the first names that popped up to my in my mind if you just look at his build kind of how he plays um it's tracy mcgrady and just in turn i mean he had the kid is tall he's long um He's quick. Let's see, they played two games up there. I saw one. Um, and when he wants to just take a game over, you know, he has that ability. And I know we're going to kind of delve into some of the stuff in terms of 
uh, one of the topics we're going to talk about later. I'll probably talk a little more about him. But when you look at him play, um, I mean, he's special. Like that's that's the best way that I can say it. And uh, you know, I know he's in school at uh, you know at Cane Ridge and Antioch. Um, I actually heard, I don't know if I'm breaking anything here, I heard he's actually going to IMG next year, um, which would probably make a little more sense because if you're going to be that level of kid, that the, that level of kid does not typically go to public school anymore. They go to basketball academies, and IMG is certainly that. And I think you would actually, if that does happen, you would see the best version of him because... You know, when you dribble down the court and throw a no-look pass that you see is open, but your teammate doesn't see it because he's not quite on your level, that can be frustrating for you. Um, and Miller is the type of kid who sees the entire court and sees the game. Um, he'd be... He would be as ballyhooed. I like that word, ballyhooed. <laughs> um, he would be... If somehow Tennessee were to get in there with him... He would be as ballyhooed coming in as Vincent Yarbrough was because that's the same sort of player. Hmm. Uh, and what was the kid in the mid two thousands that came in? Scotty Hobson. No, but yep. Hobson was more of a scoring guard than a, just like a pure small forward. And I think Miller, to me, looks like a you know just the ideal three. You know, he's not as thick as Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Uh, maybe about as tall, maybe a little bit shorter. Huntley Hatfield just seems massive when I stood next to him a while back, a couple months ago, a few weeks ago, actually. Um, I don't think he's quite as tall, but he's so long, and that's the thing. Like, If, if Tennessee can just stay knocking on that door, then that's the sort of player they're getting, in my opinion. I mean, we've talked about B.J. Edwards, and I'm stunned <clears throat> after seeing him play multiple times. I'm stunned that like his recruitment kind of has not taken off, but um, I, I think that's one of those things for his loss. I mean, I, I heard Kansas is getting involved recently. Uh, I, I know somebody that spoke with him um, about three weeks ago, about a month ago at, at a tournament. And I think Kansas was starting to get involved there, but I mean, you're talking about two kids there and Miller and Edwards um, getting them on campus is obviously special. Um, that's huge, you know, for the development, the building, the foundation of your program. Because um, I don't think Edwards is the type of kid who leaves in eight months. I mean, he's a good player. He's a really good player. But he's also the type of kid, in my opinion, that can, you know, hang around for a few years. And if you're trying to, you know, build a foundation, which we talked a little bit about last week in terms of what Rick is building – that's the sort of player that you get in because you get Miller, he's gone in eight months. <laughs> you get Edwards, uh, I think he's around for a little while. Before we move on to the, the main topic here, I, I, I want to get your thoughts on this because if I remember correctly, Gene, last episode you brought this player up and I wanted to get... I don't think I've really asked many follow-up questions on him or from about him to you, but I I want to now. <laughs> was the last podcast I believe you mentioned Quante Berry and the fact that he's a guy that is that should be on the radar for all fans. That Tennessee, you know, he they offered him in late um, April, and it seems like his I know it seems like his stock is kind of rising a little bit. But was it you that mentioned that he, he plays down in a well, he played in Cleveland. I think he's he's from Cleveland. Yeah, he now plays Winston Salem Prep. prep. Yeah. 
yeah, he goes to Winston-Salem in, in North Carolina now. And uh, his – seeing him play at Bradley Central High School, <clears throat> um, I guess that was two years ago, and watching some of that game a few weeks back when when Bobby Mays' team played uh, Mikey Williams – and then watching him play up close recently, um, you can just see how big that year was. Because, I mean, that kid doesn't stop playing basketball. I mean, when you go to those prep schools, it's, it's pretty much prep. Yep. Like, you're, you're playing a lot. I was talking to his mom. Um, I know her pretty well. And I was talking to his mom, and she's like, it's all, this is all we do. She just sits in gyms and watches. And you can see the growth in that kid. Um, he's long. He, you know, he's, he's improved a lot as a shooter. I didn't think he was a good shooter um, a couple years ago. And I think that if you get Edwards, you get Barry. I think if you get Barry, you get Edwards. I, I do. I think those two have played together for so long in the same backcourt for that Bobby Mays thing, you know, program. And obviously Tennessee fans know how profitable the Bobby Mays program has been for them. Uh, and, and I, and so what I see there in Quante is he's long, he can defend. He's not explosively athletic, but he's athletic. Um, you know, Kind of like kind of like BJ Edwards. Like no, I think that's why they're not ranked as high as because they don't have like forty-five inch verticals. But you know, like they're strong. They have good builds. They're athletic. Um, they're just not that like jump off the screen. You know, athletic. And so, I, I do think that Quante is a guy who's going to be on their radar. He had some early offers from some schools, Florida A and M. Schools like that. I think Rhode Island, his brother plays at Rhode Island, will be a registered freshman this year. You know, maybe a school like that kind of hangs around, and who knows, maybe the gravitational pull to play with your brother is too much um, to pass up. Um, but I would think the Tennessee fan, I, mean, I would think the Tennessee has a really good shot because, I mean, when you're looking, if you choose Rhode Island over Tennessee, People are like, it has to be because of the brother. Because there's nothing else, there's no rationale that makes any other sense. But it's possible. But I think the Tennessee's in a good spot if they choose to pursue him more heavily. I mean, they've offered, but, you know, we're in an era of paper offers that don't mean anything tangibly. I, although I don't think that Tennessee would offer this late in the process if they didn't mean it. Um, They've offered, so they're in the game, and we'll see how hard they pursue him. But I think that if you get him, I don't have a good comparison for him. Um, I don't. He doesn't. Sh- he's not quite as athletic as Jordan Bowden. Uh, probably a little bit stronger coming in, a little bit taller. Uh, I, I was standing next to him a couple weeks ago at that tournament, and. You know, I'm 6'5", and he's probably just a little bit shorter than I am. But, again, I do think he's a good piece, especially if you're trying to start, if you're trying to recruit foundational pieces. Like, you're doing so much, and you're doing so well with the five-star guys, but you also kind of get some of those guys with the understanding understanding 
that they expect to be gone in eight months. So you're and you know, with transfers and all this, that and the other, you're gonna have to get some guys that can kind of create the culture that you're trying to build because uh, after this year, is there a culture guy? Josiah, will he will he still be there? Because when Josiah leaves, I mean, last year's entire freshman class is gone. So there's nobody to build a foundation around. Yorosh, like that's that's where it kind of goes to. When you're looking at guys who have been in the program for multiple years that you ex- that you that could be back next season. So if you can get some guys that can kind of start to build that foundation for future years, as you do maybe usher in a new era of a new coaching staff, if you know, if Rick, once Rick decides to you know kind of step down, then you have some guys in place who kind of understand what has been built there because they were a big part of it. That's why you know the Lamontes and Grant Williams and Schofields and Alexanders and Jordan Bones and guys like that, even Fulkerson to a lesser extent, because he's the last remaining piece of that. And, I mean, there's no COVID year next year. <laughs> you know, when this next season ends, you know, John Fulkerson is actually leaving the University of Tennessee. <laughs> uh, if, at least he won't be putting the Tennessee jersey on. I mean, he may never leave, but um, he will not be putting a jersey on the University of Tennessee. So you kind of have to have somebody. And, look, I don't want to – I'm not trying to act like, you know, Quante can't be a one and done, but I do think that he's the type of guy that you can kind of create a culture around guys like that who, you know, who want to be here, you know, who want to be in Knoxville, who want to get better because Tennessee has sold this development thing uh, in, in terms of, you know, come here, develop, and go to the league. Uh, they've sold it. They're, they're yeah. selling it. And regardless of how, like, legitimate it actually is now, they're selling it, and I would sell it because you've got Grant Williams in the league. Schofield has bounced around. Bone has bounced around. Alexander had a couple minutes in the league. You know, you've got guys there. And so if you can bring in some more guys that can buy into what you're selling with that, then you can kind of keep this thing going for a few more years. That kind of, to me, is a good segue into a question that um, I got on Twitter that I, I wanted to be kind of the main topic. We'll have a couple other things after this to talk about, too, that um, Gina would, didn't talk about it before the show, but there's a, th- a few other things I wanted to bring up here that I remembered that we hadn't mentioned yet. But to go back to this, the, the, the question that was asked by... Uh, I, I, can't, I do not remember how I pronounce his, his, his at name. It's at uh, Robadob, I think. Yeah, Robadob, maybe 92 on Twitter. Asked us what our realistic... Yeah, realistic slash ideal 2022 recruiting class would be for Tennessee. And I, you talk about Quante Berry and B.J. Edwards and you thinking that, you know, Tennessee gets one, they get the other. I think it's interesting that you say that because they both, you mentioned you think B.J. Edwards is a, you know, he's not a one-and-done type player, in your opinion. He's a guy who stays here for a couple of seasons if he comes to Tennessee. At least as of right now, Berry and Edwards are listed both as point guards. And I'm curious, you know, do you think one of them doesn't play point guard next level? I, I, I'm just kind of your, your your thoughts on, you know, landing both of those guys in the 2022 class and, and what that would mean for the point guard position. Is it just kind of, you know, Barry's more of a developmental guy that would be a backup because Tennessee is going to be losing, you know, Kenny Chandler after this year and losing you know, probably a couple other point guard options over the next couple of seasons. So is that more of like a, a planning for the future, trying to get two kind of point guard prospects? And, and you know, like you said, I, I don't think, Tennessee let it, offering this late in the process means that they're kind of 
just offering to be offering. Tennessee has gotten a lot more selective with their offers over the last few years. You, you go back and look at what Rick Barnes and them were offering. Right now in the 2022 class, they've extended 19 offers, for example. If I go back to the 2017 class here on 247 Sports, once it loads, I remember doing the uh, looking at this for an article um, when I was still at RTI and looking at kind of the difference. There's 27 offers in that 2017 class, and I feel like 2016, 2015 had a lot more than that. Yeah, 2015 class, Tennessee offered 55 prospects. In the 2016 class, um, they offered, I want to say it was in the upper 40s, if not somewhere in the upper 30s maybe, once it loads. But my, my point is that Tennessee's gotten a lot more selective with their offers. They're, yeah, 33 in that 2016 class. So they're not just kind of offering to be offering at this point. They're, they're not you know as selective as the <coughs> programs like Duke and North Carolina and Kansas are. But Tennessee's gotten more selective with their offering process. So I think your point's right. They're not. I don't. I don't think they would offer Barry just to be offering him. You know, are they? Maybe are they offering to help kind of elevate his stock a little bit? I don't know. I. I maybe. But I, I do think there's legitimate interest there. And like you said, his connection to B.J. Edwards, I don't think can be den- denied either. So, all that to get back to the point of, they both play the same position. Does that kind of, what what does that mean for in your opinion for that 2022 class for Tennessee? I don't think anything because, I mean, having seen them play, I mean, they play well off each other. Okay. And so if you have, you know, if you, you like most teams now are, are, are rolling out multiple ball handlers to where you have to have multiple guys that can get you into an offense because um, the more versatile you are as a team, um, the more, yeah, the more versatile you are, the more ways you can play. I mean, it, it, in essence, if you think about it, last year uh, you had Springer, you had Vescovi. Uh, they were on the court on the same time. Sometimes Keon Johnson initiated stuff, but had Keon also played like power forward. I guess in a sense, if 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 we want to attach, you know, positions to to players, um, I think it's fine because those two have. Uh, th- those two are both equally capable of like getting you into an offense, uh, and again, they play well off each other. They, you know, they can. They're both unselfish players, so they're going to get other people involved, and it's not just going to be them two of them passing it back and forth to each other. Um, like they, they are going to be able. You know, if if they come, they're both capable of playing off the ball, but playing on the ball. But obviously, you know, when, pe- when people get ranked, they're not ranked with the thought that they're both going to go to the same place. They've both shown through AAU circuits and wherever they played at that they play well as point guards. And I think that's so that's where um, they just put them as a position because why not? I mean, for that matter, I mean, Josiah James was, was listed as a point guard uh, a few years back. And. You know, for that matter, I mean, Jared Garantano was a dual threat quarterback. Oh God, don't bring that up on this podcast, Gene. Don't do it. I mean, don't do it. <laughs> no, done it. Too late. Yeah, things can change. Uh, but no, all jokes aside, I mean, it, it's uh, they're they're both capable of playing with the ball in their hand and away from the ball, and like just and. You know, working for their shots and just you know being able to catch off, catch and you know shoot, catch and excuse me, catch and create um, whatever that whatever is whatever is necessary. And again, for a team to be good, you have to be versatile. 
And again, like anybody that's listened to me talk on these podcasts before, that those are the players I'm always going to be watching more. The guys, what can you do? Like how much can you do? I don't want you to only be one position, one thing, do one thing well, especially if you're like six three, six four, six five. Like if you're if you're short, then obviously you have limited options. If you're five ten, you've got limited options. You can't play power forward at five ten. Hate to break the news to you. Um, if you're seven two, you may be able to handle the ball a little bit. Heck, I just watched a kid that Tennessee should probably try to, you know, get involved with and Felix Okpora. He could be next. Uh, he plays at Hamilton Heights. Yep. He plays yep. AU. I don't know who he plays for. I haven't seen. I saw him play for Hamilton Heights. I did not see him play um, in the circuit. Um, yeah, I think they've been trying to get him on campus, but I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Or not, but they're trying. Yeah, he, they, they were at the team camp that we were at this week. We mm-hmm. being Cleveland. Um, he was not there. I do know he's going to Ohio State next week. Um, so I don't know, but I mean that kid is your next season's Huntley Hatfield. If you can get involved with them. Like I watched that kid, you know, Cleveland is a vertically challenged team who has whose tallest player is like six four, six five. And you know, so you're gonna to try to do certain things. And I watched Opora literally just dribble down the court and knock down like back to back threes in a tight game. It's like what are you supposed to do now? Uh, so I get and that and that actually kinda of goes with the class. I mean the class question, like what would an ideal class be? And because you're going to lose Hatfield, let's just call it what it is. You know, let's not flirt around and say maybe he comes back for a year. Uh, <clears throat> I was actually I, I talked to a kid uh, who's a 2023 kid uh, a few weeks ago, and he was talking to Huntley Hatfield and trying to get the kid to hang around. Uh, the kid's actually a, he's a football player from in Nashville, uh, one of the top dual threat quarterbacks in the country. And he was trying to convince Huntley Hatfield to stay around for a little while. And I looked at the kid and I'm like, you actually think that kid's going to be around when he's, well, I can try. I know you can try. That kid's going to be, you know, <laughs> he's going to be getting ready to sign his rookie extension by the time you get to college. <laughs> he's going to be a millionaire by the time you even, you know, go to senior prom. So, uh, which is, again, all that to say, that's really good for Tennessee's profile right now. Like, to get guys like that that are potential lottery picks – that is great. I mean, I saw a mock draft that had Keon Johnson like going seven and had Jaden Springer going like 16. That's good for the profile. It, it adds more pressure to win while they're there, but it's good for the profile. And if, so as they fight for some of these kids, the kid that was in town last week, uh, the two kids coming in town this week, if they can get Oporo on, on campus, uh, guys like that, if you can get those guys, that's great. You know, like, that's good for the profile. People, kids want a pathway. Like, you go to college to prepare yourself for the next level of life. And kids want to feel as though wherever they go to play at, there's a pathway. You know, they're used to, I mean, there's a pathway at Gonzaga now. There's a pathway at Tennessee now. Those things were probably didn't seem feasible however many years ago. You know, the Dan Dickows of the world and Adam Morrison's and then it was like maybe they'd have a guy and now all of a sudden you got Rory you've got who all the kids you know like the, the two they've got two lottery picks probably this year Tennessee's got at least one lottery pick this year and if you so when you when kids are turning on their TV on draft night and seeing that 
that's only going to help. So every door that Tennessee can knock on and every door that is open for them, and I think that's why getting those kids on campus is so huge because, like, this year, you know, like, they didn't have the season they wanted. But guess what they did have? They had, they got three guys testing out NBA stuff. Two of them are going to get drafted. I don't think Eves is going to get drafted, but – you know, you had a kid who has the profile of being SEC Defensive Player of the Year. And getting in that door and getting those kids to check out those facilities, I know what official visits are like. If anybody that watched, that's listened to this podcast has watched He Got Game, it's not that. But um, everybody's going to put their best foot forward. And Tennessee has a really big shoe. You're talking about raising the you know the profile of the program from a draft perspective. D- just looking at right now, right in front of me here, from 2002 to 2000, I guess really from the first 15 years of this this millennium, 2000 2015, um, Tennessee had one, two, three, four, five, six guys taken in the NBA draft. You had bits of Yarbrough, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, let's play this game. Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. And they name them by, by heart. Yep, 2000 through 2015. You okay, six guys. Drafted, mm-hmm. Vincent Yarbrough, second yep. round, thirty-three. Uh, Marcus Hazelup, first round, picked like twelve or thirteen. Uh, this is crazy. I'm trying to think. Uh, Ron didn't get drafted, did he? No. I hate that man. You get That's a long. Gap. You get. You get a big gap between Hazelup and the next guy. <sighs> wow. Um, don't don't tell me because I'm going to get this. I'm going to nail it. <laughs> I'm going to nail every last one of these. I know Josh Richardson is one. That's three. Mm-hmm. Jarnell didn't get drafted, did he? Yep, Jarnell got drafted. So that's four um, until 2015. Yeah. God, there was somebody. Um, did Lofton get? He didn't get drafted, did he? No. Um, you got two more. Man, I got four out of six. That's actually yeah. that's not bad for two, from memory. That's two more. That's two more than I thought I was going to get. Uh, <laughs> I, you you want to tell you there too? I had that 2002 pack locked down, man. Because yeah, you, got, making, you said I think you said Yarbrough 33 it was 32 and Hayslip was 13, but you were like basically spot on. That was impressive. Uh, yeah, I had I had that draft nailed, man. Yep. Because my roommate in college was uh, Marcus's teammate, and obviously I was Vince's teammates. So we yeah, we locked that one down. But uh, nice. Um, God, so there's somebody in somebody the very obvious you're missing. He's still, in, <laughs> he's still in the league. He got a max contract recently. Oh, yeah, Tobias. That's five. <laughs> Here you okay. go, yeah. In 11, it's yeah, that, 2011. Yeah, and then you got yeah, one, you got one more that I don't know if you'll get it. It was uh, Jordan McRae was drafted, like, very, very late. Oh, that guy. Second okay. round. okay. I would have never. I would have not remembered. I knew that. They, I knew that was the Tom span. I knew it was mm-hmm. Pearl, but I just Duke Cruz kept on popping up in my head. I knew that wasn't <laughs> it. I'm just saying that's. I drew a blank, man. I got four out of six, man. Hey, Tennessee hey, fan. Not hey, I know a little bit, just a little, <laughs> not as much as the thing, but I know enough. No, you, I, I was impressed with the Hayslip and Yarbrough, like nailing those guys pretty spot on there um but yeah you, you had those six guys in a 15-year span get drafted and you know so that, that's that's not a very high percentage 
But now you're looking they had at some good teams. That's the part yeah, they had some good teams too. That was the thing. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. They had guys that were good college players that just didn't make it in the NBA. But you also had uh, you had a few guys in there that were weren't drafted. Like, um, oh my gosh, the 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 CJ Watson. He wasn't drafted, but he spent a long time in the league. Like he was up. He played for the Warriors. He played for the God, I don't remember who he played for now. But he's up in the league for a while. Pacers maybe. <laughs> Yeah, he's a bull too. That's right. He, but he wasn't drafted, but he played up there for a while. So yeah, you had guys that obviously weren't drafted that were up there, but still six guys in fifteen years. You're about to have two more taken, obviously with Springer and Johnson. I don't like you said. I don't think Epons does. But you're about to have two more drafted. Six in fifteen years. You're about to have two more. That'll be five in a a three year span. That's it's all about elevating your 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 profile, and you're going to have more in the future. You know, the, the more of these high rated prospects you're bringing in. And seems other guys you're going you're going to develop at college, they're going to get drafted too. Um, you know, you look at the the Grants, Admirals, and Bones. Those guys weren't one of Duns, obviously, but they're t- those all three of those guys were taken in the same draft. You're going to have Springer and Johnson. I mean, Kennedy Chandler, barring a, a you know a severe injury or something, he's going to get drafted. Hunter Hatfield's going to get drafted. So that's probably two more guys in the next year or so. So that's going to be you know maybe seven in four years. I mean that that right there you've you've surpassed in four seasons what you did in a 15-year span at, at the beginning of this millennium. So, yeah, talking about raising the, the profile, that, that definitely does it right there um, for your program. That, kind of, that, that brings up a question I want to ask for a future podcast. Gene, someone write this one down and, and not forget it. So I'll, I'll just make a mental note for myself here. But to go back to the, the question on Twitter that we got about the ideal versus kind of what we think will happen or if we think the ideal will happen, I think you're talking there. You need to have a good mix of these five-star prospects and these guys who you're building with that I think you hit the nail on the head. You need to have some foundational pieces, especially in this 2022 class. It's, I think it's it's very important to have in this class. You, you had a, you got a few in the, a couple in the um, in the 21 class. I think Jemai Meshack is a guy you can build around, and he's you know he's not going to be a one-and-done guy. He's a guy who's going to be at Tennessee for you know a few seasons. I personally think that Jonas Adu is a really good player, but I don't think he's a one-and-done player. I think he's a guy who you, is here for a couple of seasons. Um, obviously, yeah, obviously Kennedy Chandler and Huntley Hatfield are going to be gone after this year, but I, I think you brought in a couple of foundational pieces that you are going to be here for a few years um, in the 21 class. I think 22, you have to do the same thing. You can't just bring in... I don't, th- I don't think it's a matter of, you know pulling a, a, a Kentucky under Calipari or a Duke or the last, the last few years under Coach K and kind of just trying to retool immediately and bring in guys and shuffle them back out, bring in guys and shuffle them back out. You need to bring in a few guys that, yeah, you're going to bring in and they're going to be here for a year and be gone. But as you said, I think B.J. Edwards isn't a one-and-done guy. If Tennessee gets Quante Berry, he's not a one-and-done guy. But you are going to you know go after the guys like the Brandon Millers and the Casey Wallaces and it, we'll see, you know, but the, but the Felix Akparas and those are all one-and-done guys. Um, but you also have guys like well, I think Jalen Hood Shafino if Tennessee gets keeps going on him, he's a potentially potentially a one and done guy. Not sure, but he's he is a five star combo guard. We'll we'll see, you know, what the future holds for him. But a guy like Noah Clowney who's coming in um kind of picking up s- some steam here. That's a guy who I don't think is a one and done. Dylan Mitchell, I don't think is a one and done guy. So I think this is a class that to me the ideal class for Tennessee we I think we I think Brandon and I might have touched on this a little bit. I actually touched on this, I think, quite a bit, if I remember correctly, in the podcast I did with him when he was a guest. But talking about kind of the, the positions that we think Tennessee should target, 
I think you definitely need point guard. That's that's your number one position of need in this class. I, I don't think there's any question about it. I think point guard's the top one. You do need another big man or two to bring into this class as well. Then I think, as I, as I said to Brandon, shooters, shooters, shooters. Get guys who can score. I don't, you know, I don't care how many of those guys you bring in. I don't care if you bring in three guys that all play the two and three. I, Tennessee needs guys, whether it's a transfer, whether it's a recruit. They need guys who can go out and put up some points because of, as we've talked about, it feels like ad nauseum at this point, Gene, Tennessee's best teams have been teams that, yes, they've been good defensively, and yes, they get defensive stops, and they, they're they not to be trifled with on defense, but they're teams that put up points. The, the, the Tennessee's best teams under Rick Barnes, Tennessee's best teams under Bruce Pearl were teams that scored points and weren't teams that were you know, kind of Virginia-based, where there were lockdown defensive teams that are going to sl- slow you down, drag it out. The only time that really kind of worked was the last year of Conzo Martin. And even then, that team had guys that could score. Josh Richardson came alive in the NCAA tournament. Jordan Stokes and, and Jerron Maven ate up rebounds, and Stokes could put back shots and was able to hit shots. Jordan McRae was able to hit shots uh, from that team, too. So even that team, it was a, a Conzo team that was more defensive-heavy, more rebounding-focused, more slower tempo. But that's still that team. I'll, I'll pull up the stats, but I think that team was, I feel like, probably the highest-scoring team that... Conzo had so from my perspective Gene it needs to be a team that yes you're going to want a, a defensive focus thing because that's, that's what Rick Barnes wants that's what Rick Barnes recruits and it's worked out for him in his you know 20 plus years of coaching at this point but I think you need first and foremost a point guard a big man and then you just need some scoring I, I, don't, I, guess I don't care if it's a recruit I don't care if it's a, a transfer scoring needs to be a high high priority in this class along with like you said a, mixing in some of those foundational guys with the you know one or two highly rated five-star, four-star guys you're going to you're gonna try and get in this class too. Yeah, I, I think what gets lost and now and really watching a lot of things and taking a lot of different things on, you know, on certain AAU circuits and stuff and watching a ton of high-level competition, what you need in recruiting is guys who are good offensively. And can you know maybe they have a thing that they're just special at, um, but it's not even necessarily that they're great. Uh, it's not as necessarily that they're great defensively, but they're dogs and they're just really to compete. Like what makes what made Keon Johnson so beloved in Knoxville is the fact that he competed defensively every single possession. There may have been other guys who didn't match that energy level. But if you've got five guys who are willing to do that, then then you'll, you're going to be good regardless. And so that's why, like, you know, when you see, you know, like when you see Edwards and Barry go out there and, and play off of each other, when you see like those Bobby Mays guys, when you see all these th- different guys in some of these top level AAU programs, what makes them different is the fact that they're tough. Um, they fight. They scrap, and like that's all. Like Tennessee hasn't had that, you know. Like I've felt that like the the team after the yeah I've felt that like the last couple of their 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 teams honestly that's what they've lacked. It's just just like grown men that are going there and just fight for everything. Like in they had a couple, but like they gave up. To me, way too much in the paint. 
you know, in my opinion, and it's not necessarily a size thing. It's just like you're just not even competing. You're just out there just playing basketball, getting some cardio. And so, like, what I would what I would want in recruiting is guys who they don't necessarily have to be great defensive players, but if they're like if they're if they're competitors, then they're willing to learn. Like if they're competitors, they're gonna go out there and fight every second. That's why the, that's why I think the Mayshack kid is gonna be such is an, such, an, such an undervalued player in this recruiting class because, like, if you just kind of you know read up on that dude a little bit, his size, all the all the stuff about him, that's what he's gonna go out there and just compete. That's what, that's all he's gonna do. Like all the other stuff. I mean, other stuff is nice and all, but. You just want some dudes and go out there and just fight for everything. Just act like nothing. <clears throat> act like nothing is just given to them. They've earned everything. And like, if you've got those guys, then you're gonna be right. And I think it looks like Rick is starting to go after those guys because, like I said, Barry. You know, Barry and Edwards are underappreciated recruits. So from the moment they get there, they're going to have that chip on their shoulder. I know everybody loves the chip. It's one of those just cliche things that they say. But I do think there's some truth to it because but they still got, I'm pretty sure they saw Barry as a three. He thinks he's better. They've got BJ Edwards as a four. He thinks he's better. Heck, you know, I mean, every kid who's really good at basketball thinks they're the number one player in the country. Mm-hmm. They feel like the number two player in the country will sit there and say that they're being disrespected. Like my guy, you're number two. I'm being disrespected. I'm the best. And you and you want that. Like it's not that they worry about the rankings; it's that they use the rankings to fuel. Them. Oh yeah. And so they're getting those guys. Uh, they're going to be bringing those guys in that are willing to go out there and fight and compete for everything else. You've got guys who can who have a good foundation in terms of shooting. You know, Justin Powell is a guy who, regardless of how, however long he hangs around, he's going to be able to stretch defense. Victor Powell, I mean, Bailey. Wow, Victor Powell. Um, Victor Bailey is a guy who I think is going to get a lot more open shots this year than he did last. Because I, I think that a lot of what Tennessee, I'm just guessing. I Obviously, I have zero intel on this, but um, I'm guessing Tennessee plays a lot of what they're doing through um, – Chandler and Huntley Hatfield. Just a guess. No intel whatsoever. Um, and so, like, there are going to be guys who have so, so many wide open looks. And life is a lot easier when you're getting nothing but open looks. Ask Jordan Bowden about that. Like, when those, when those looks are wide open because maybe people are more concerned with other guys... Like, it was real easy to say Jordan Bowden is a shooter. We have to guard him. It's a lot harder when he's surrounded by Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, Jordan Bone, guys like that, Lamonte Turner, who were who had the ability to attract defenses. And, oh, all of a sudden, Jordan Bowden is your fourth optional. I mean, you're the fourth the person you care. I mean, you're, like, worried about, like, fourth most out of the five guys on the court. Because whoever the center was, Kyle Alexander, John Fulkerson, that was going to be the person you worried about the least. Um, so, yeah, Jordan Bowden made a living that year. Like, to the point where people had, in my opinion, always had 
expectations a little too high for what to expect from him that year. I mean, I was reading people thinking he's going to average 25. I'm like, he's not that guy. But life gets real easy when you got wide open shots. So Powell's going to get wide open looks this year. Bailey is. Vescovi, who I've always thought is best as a shooter. Um, like, those guys are going to have so the potential. Potential. Because I got burned last year, you know, blowing up, you know, what I thought was going to happen last year. I mean, with that team. They're going to have the potential of having so many looks, and Chandler is what people think he is. And if Huntley Hatfield attracts people like I think he will, and if the ball movement is there, like those two, I mean, those shooters are going to have a chance. And when people watch, when kids who are out there being recruited look and see the open looks that those guys are getting, they're going to want to be a part of it. So I think you talked about shooting. You talked about shooting, 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 however you get it. I don't think that's going to be a problem, although we'll have to see what they do at the point guard position after this year as everybody expects Chandler to be gone. Yeah, I yeah, I, I think, again, like I said, the, the the ideal lineup for me is, you know, getting a couple of five stars, whether that's, um, like I said, Akpar, which I don't know, you know, like you said, Tennessee's going to have to do some work there. We're getting, you know, like the guys like Kaysen Wallace and, and Brandon Miller they have on campus now to mix in with those guys. I think you made some good points. And I think that's – that'll be kind of where we leave off there. I'm going to move on here to um, a couple of notes really quick here before we get into the last topic of the show. That is to congratulate a couple of about – about, well, I guess they are current Vols and Lady Vols, but they're the newest Vols and Lady Vols. But you have some Gatorade Players of the Year. Uh, Kennedy Chandler named the Gatorade Kansas Boys Basketball Player of the Year for the men's side, and on the Lady Vols side, you have both Sarah Puckett and Brooklyn Miles being named the Gatorade Players of the Year for their respective states in Alabama for Sarah Puckett and for uh, Kentucky for Brooklyn Miles. So congratulations to those three players and being named Gatorade Players of the Year. That's, that's again, talking about raising the profile. That's stuff that, that's stuff that Tennessee men's basketball hasn't done a whole lot of, but obviously Lady Vols have gotten plenty of those types of recruits over the years, and it's, it's good to see that not only are they getting those types of players again, but it seems like you know, we've talked about on the podcast before that Holly kind of seemed to be wanting to kind of bring in just highly rated prospects and not being good fits. It seems like under Kelly Harper, they're also good fits and, and they fit in well with what they're wanting to do and kind of the pro- the system they're running. And that leads me into this next topic here. The last one I want to spend a few minutes on, Gene, because we haven't talked about the Lady Vols much lately. I think this is worth talking about. It was announced last week, I believe, late last week, I want to say. Um, it was announced, yeah, Friday of last week. Um, that the Lady Vols and UConn are going to be continuing their on-court rivalry this upcoming season and the following. Lady Vols will travel to UConn next season, and then UConn is going to come to Knoxville in the 22-23 season. Dates and tip times and the TV stations are to be announced at a later date. But Gene, I personally think this, to me, is a fantastic for Tennessee. It was fantastic, not for just Tennessee, but fantastic for women's hoops in general. Um, obviously, I don't expect the Lady Vols to go beat UConn this year because UConn I think is going to be stacked this upcoming season if what I've seen about different people I've seen cover them on Twitter and stuff talking about the recruiting and just the Paige roster I think they're going to be what was that? they got Paige Buckets uh, yeah I know she's, she's come back well, I guess her sophomore year and she was already phenomenal as a freshman um, they're going to be stacked so I don't expect Tennessee to win but I mean they they kept it really close this past year and I didn't expect Tennessee to win that one either I personally think this is fantastic I I, I love seeing the Lady Vols play UConn because it's one of the best rivalries in any sport 
in my opinion, period, no matter, you know, what sport it is, no matter men's, women's, whatever it is. And Gino Oriyama is probably my least favorite coach of any sport, period. It's, he's, if he's not number one, he's up there. He's in the top three. So I, I have, I, I like it from that perspective of seeing the hatred of these, you know, these two teams do not like each other. These two programs do not like each other. But I've also seen a, a few Lady Vol fans and, and just Tennessee fans in general too on Twitter and Facebook both kind of say, hey, you know, I'm not a huge fan of this. I don't think Pat Summit would have liked this. And I, I, I get where they're coming from, honestly, because I'm, I mean, we all know the reason why it was discontinued in the first place, and it wasn't because it, it, there were a lot of reasons behind the scenes stuff with Gino and Pat that that was the reason why that, that, that this all got canceled and the series got discontinued. And I think some people, it kind of rubs in the wrong way that Tennessee is can doing that they, they did this previously that they're going to still could do it. I, I understand where they're coming from, Gene, but I personally think that I am all for always playing the Lady Vols and UConn should always be playing it. I get it. <laughs> I understand the Lady Vols fans really, really just the seething hatred they have for Gene Oriyama and the things he's done and said in the past and really honestly continues to do and say sometimes at this point in his in his career. I don't like Gene Oriyama either. But I also really want to see the Lady of Alls beat UConn at some point. And, and I guess you could argue, well, let them do it in the NCAA tournament. They haven't had a chance to do that. That Tennessee hasn't made any runs in the NCAA tournament enough to even get to the point to play UConn. So I'm all for it. I, I Again, I, I do truly understand where some of the fans are coming from on this. But I am in the camp of these two teams need to be playing. Just like when you had um, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady both playing at the same time. The Colts and Patriots need to be playing every single season at the NFL when that was happening. You need these types of rivalries to keep it happening. You, you need the, you know, there's a reason why the Yankees Red Sox are, you know, ballyhooed, as you t- used your word earlier, uh, Gene. It, it, it's, it's, it's every time they're playing, they're on ESPN. Every time they're playing, it's a big it's a big news. It's the reason why, you know, rivalries make sports better, and I think this is the best rivalry in women's hoops, and it needs to be played year in and year out. And I, I, I get people being, some people being upset by it and everything, but at the same time, Tennessee goes out and beats UConn. I wouldn't be upset if I were a Lady Vol fan. I really wouldn't. So uh, I, I get I get where people are coming from on it, but I honestly think this is it's great for Tennessee. It's great for women's hoops, and I am one hundred percent here for this rivalry continuing. Yeah, and like the women's, you know, I'll just say this: like women's sports is growing. Yeah, you know, like if you look at you know, WNBA, if you look at just what happened in, you know, in the women's NCAA tournament, uh, which should be called March Madness, by the way, uh, but it's not, uh, it's not branded that way. That's actually a shame because you look at some of those tournaments they are actually better than the men's, but, you know, when people try to get nostalgic about what the men's game was in terms of, you know, guys hanging around for three, four years, um, that's what the women's game is with really good players. Like the guard from Arizona was really good and got, got Arizona to a national championship game. You know, like we, so when you look and see like, that's what you want. You want your players to kind of hang around like, and that's, that's what they do in women's in women's college basketball. Um, But if you're going to to continue to grow that you need to be able to have like your highest profile, teams you know like it, you you want regardless of how good duke of kentucky is in men's basketball people will always tune in that game because of you know because of the brand unc in kentucky 
obviously Duke UNC, um, you know, to a lesser extent, Kentucky, Louisville, Brands, you know, Kansas, you know, Kansas is playing Duke. Uh, Michigan State's always in that Champions Classic. You know, like you want those teams playing. Like I, I think, you know, in addition to Tennessee, you know, playing UConn, I wish the women's game would kind of have one of those sorts of Champions Classic games, you know, where Stanford, um, Notre Dame, and obviously Tennessee plays those teams. They do. They play them. But if you could have a classic where those, you know, UConn, Tennessee, like Stanford, Notre Dame, if those four teams, maybe you could, you know, find somebody else. Although I, those four to me kind of remain the standard uh, for women's college basketball. I mean, like if there's somebody I'm forgetting, I certainly apologize. But when I think of those four, I mean, when I think of women's college basketball, it's like, quote unquote, blue bloods. That's kind of where I'm going. Um, am I? I mean, Rutgers, no. I mean, I feel like those are the four programs. Yeah, say, say the programs again. What's that? Uh, say, say the programs again. Tennessee, Stanford, Notre Dame, and UConn. I mean, those are the four I'd name. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I guess maybe maybe you could throw in Baylor in there, but th- that's still, those are the four. Those are the four I'd think of. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it was, and it's, what's interesting is. UConn is still in the midst of the coach that made them who they are. Right. Uh, matter of fact, out of all out of those four teams, two of them, uh, well, two of them are still with the coach with Vanderveer at Stanford and obviously Gino at UConn that made them who they are. Tennessee is obviously not, um, and Notre Dame just you know Muffet just stepped down. I'm, I think, and man, I don't think I'm lying about that. I think she just stepped down. Um, yeah, because the Ivy, uh, I think Ivy got that job, and so, <clears throat> so like what? Because what, I think that's what Duke and Carolina are going to have are going to have to go through in the men's game now. Uh, you know, Duke struggled after. I'm sorry, North Carolina struggled after uh, Dean Smith. They obviously found Roy Williams, and he was good for him. Uh, we'll see what Duke does with Coach K, but you know it, it sometimes loses some of the luster because the coach that made them who they are is no longer there. Like Tennessee is still scrambling to find that. Like you know maybe Kelly Harper builds his program back to where uh, you know Pat had it, and then you have to ask yourself, um, you know, what happens when Geno leaves UConn? Can he? Can the? Can the next person keep them up there? Uh, but I'm, I'm glad that this is happening. Like it's it's a robbery that, ha- in my opinion, has needs to happen as much as possible. Um, it doesn't, you know, like Tennessee, you know, Memphis basketball fans on the men's side. Like you're not, you're. I mean, you're not Tennessee UConn women. But I do think those are two robberies that should happen as often as possible because. You know, be it negative feelings for whatever reason, um, you know, like that—that's—that's that's a game that is going to attract a lot of eyeballs every single oh, yeah. time, it happens. and that's what you want. I mean, Tennessee—I guess I guess Tennessee's playing Memphis this year in men's basketball. 
I the game can, yeah, in Nashville. after they canceled it this past season because of COVID, I think they're picking yeah. it back up this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, like, you want as many high-profile games um, as you possibly can have, and names that'll bring recognition, names that'll bring eyeballs to the television screen. I don't know what the ratings for uh, Tennessee UConn were this past year, but I know that was a really I'm looking good it up game. right now. <laughs> I know it was a really good game, and that will bring the average observer. You know, like when when you hear when you watch the Last Dance, and Michael Jordan is sitting, you know, on the training table and talking to a guy who apparently was a UConn grad, and he said, "They've got a really good women's program." Like this was what the late nineties. You know, like that's going to draw the average, the casual observer, because the casual observer, uh, they remember Tennessee. With Pat Summit, they know Gino's dominance with UConn. Um, like they they know those things, and they know the battles those two teams had in the '90s and early 2000s. And you know, they know that UConn is not UConn without Tennessee. They never become UConn without Tennessee. They're just Connecticut, but now they're UConn. I mean, are they even referred to as UConn in any other sport? <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but uh, I guess maybe on the men's side, too. Yeah, but, I would say maybe men's side, too, yeah. Yeah, I don't think of them as UConn or anything other than, like, women's basketball. Crazy. But anyways, <laughs> it's something that needs to happen all the time. And so I'm glad that I, I, when I saw that email, I got the email from the sports department of Tennessee, and I'm like, that's that's a good idea. That's that's a really good idea to keep that thing going. And it didn't end on that. It didn't, there's no bad terms there. Kind of like some of the, you know, some of the, the the belief in the Tennessee Memphis side, so it was probably an easy contract to get hammered out. Now Tennessee's gonna have to win a couple games in that rivalry to kind of bring it back because, Please. yeah, kids, you know, little girls don't remember that, and listening to your parents tell you about that stuff is not nearly the same. Yeah, I mean, it has that feel of, I mean, on the on the men's side of things as the field of Tennessee football like like you said hearing the story is is the same as the experience of yourself that's been a lot of unfortunately what a lot of Tennessee football fans have had to deal with with their kids saying hey it used to be a lot different for Lady Vols like I said it used to be a lot different um competing for tiles and stuff I I can't find if someone who's listening to the show knows where to point me I I can't find the the ratings TV ratings for the UConn and uh, Lady Vols for this past season, but I am looking at, like you mentioned, kind of the growth of women's sports in general. The, the viewership numbers for the Women's March Madness um, this past year, and even though Lady Vols didn't make it very far, the Knoxville market was still the number two market in women's sports for the NCAA tournament this past year, March Madness. You had Hartford, New Haven, which that's where UConn is, had a 6.9 rating. Knoxville had a 5.9 rating, so that was for the championship game. Um, and that championship game Let's see the, yeah the the. Yeah, when Stanford beat Arizona, averaged four million viewers and it was the most viewed women's championship game since 2014. So that was a a big rise and a, a big bump there. And again, Knoxville was those those two are the top two markets, and Knoxville Leavals didn't even have a team in there. UConn didn't have a team in there. The, <laughs> imagine if UConn or Tennessee had been in the title game. Obviously, UConn's been there. I mean, lately. Well, not lately. Ever since Candace Parker got cut by Gino, uh, they haven't made it into the championship game. But still, they've made it there more recently, obviously, than Lady Vols have. But imagine if, if Lady Vols get back 
to the Final Four, get back to the championship game, what that rating will be like for that. So again, that's that's obviously not what the rating was for UConn and Lady Balls, but that still shows you right there the the viewing potential that that has, where those two teams were, or those two markets were the top two markets, and they didn't even have a team in the the thing. In fact, really the the two markets that had the the teams in the Stanford and Arizona, Phoenix was number four, and Stanford I don't see like a, a Seattle type or like a, a Washington type of thing. I guess Portland Oregon number three, uh, Phoenix and Oregon were kind of tied for for third in the rating system. So I guess that would be the closest I think technically. San Francisco is up there in top five, but again some of these are just cities that watch sports. They're they're also big cities like San Francisco. Um, Phoenix is bigger and stuff too. So. Anyway, th all that point is, I I think we're in agreement there, Gene. I think this series it attracts eyeballs, and if Tennessee continues to grow and get better and, and wins one of these things, finally wins one of these games against UConn, that's only going to help grow up more and say, hey, look, they're this is a legitimately a, a legitimate rivalry again, and these two teams obviously hate each other. It's women's basketball, women's sports are growing. And this will only help it even more. It, it takes the, you know, like I said, I, I understand where the fans are coming from that d dislike it. But I also think this is very much, it, people saying that Pat Summit would stand for this. I also think this is kind of in the vein of what Pat Summit was known to do, of making, you know, quote unquote, making sacrifices for herself, for the program to kind of better the sport overall. Pat Summit did that so many times. You look at all these coaches and, and former players and stuff that she didn't even coach. That she that she didn't even coach with or anything like that mentioned that Pat Summit was a big reason why they were able to do what they were because of things that she did because of the the pathways that the Lady Vols paved for women's basketball. I think this is very much in the spirit of of Pat Summit of hey you know yeah there's been plenty of nastiness in the past between these two teams but these two teams playing is going to help the sport and it's going to help women's athletics overall so. I'm in for it, I, and you're in for it, Gene. And I, I think most people are in for it. I just know I saw some people saying things about it, so I wanted to kind of discuss it here um, on the podcast. So unless there's anything my, else, Gene, you want to add? Go ahead. Yeah, my last thing I want to say is, people, please quit speaking for the dead. Please. Yeah. Yep. That's not like that's not Like, I've seen a couple of things that people have suggested that Pat Summit would not stand for. Um that is a phrase I am using specifically in this instance. Um, I use that on purpose, but please stop because we don't know what, and we're we're trying to use. Let, let's stop using at summit because we feel a certain way about something. Like if we feel a certain way, say we feel that way, but don't use her as a prop. I I just I don't I, I don't think anybody appreciates that like ju just leave her be you know the the she is <laughs> i mean in my opinion the greatest head coach because if there's no her then there's no women's game as we see it now like we don't see we don't see yukon become yukon we don't see you know Louisiana Tech had their run in the 90s where they were really good. We don't see Stanford. Um, you know, I don't meet, you know, I don't get to spend a number of years working alongside Jim Foster, who's one of the most iconic figures in women's college basketball. Mm. You know, Muffet McGraw, people like that, Andy Landers. I mean, so much of that profile comes from her. 
Uh, and I, I just wish that we could just we could proper up as one of the most iconic figures in women's sports in all of sports history, not just women's. And every single time that we see something, be it a rivalry or whatever, whatever, um, we decide, well, Pat wouldn't do this. Maybe Pat would. So let's not act like we know exactly who she is, exactly who she was, and exactly what she would do or not do given a certain circumstance or being put in a certain situation. That's my last little soapbox for the night. No, I think you're spot on. I think that was very well said. And I think it's a good place to end uh, the podcast here. So again, thank you all for listening. And like I said earlier, if someone's listening and knows where I could look up what the ratings would be for the, the TV ratings for the UConn Lady Vols game this past year, please let me know because it's going to bother me. And I may go after this really podcast good. is over and look it up anyway. So <laughs> try to find really, it. Like, I think they were really good. I didn't get to see it for, I can't remember exactly why, but I, I, I feel like that game was trending that night on Twitter. Like, they were really good. And I think you just have to have those games for for that reason. TV executives should be pining for those games. They should want that game on all the time. And because I think the ratings would suggest that they were really good. I found a UConn story that talked about the ratings this year, but for some reason that game was not yeah, that, game that, that, was, uh, that was alluded to. The South Carolina game drew over 400,000 viewers, so say two hundred, say 300,000 people watched the game. That's, that's good. That's a lot of people, man. Yeah, that's a lot of Keep people. Yeah, Keep no, you're right. Um... But yeah, yeah that, that's where we'll end this podcast. Again, thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Share it with your friends, family, Vol fans everywhere. Uh, even if they're not Vol fans, even if they're you've, fans you think would like this podcast that are basketball fans, SEC fans, or just people who like college basketball um, to share the podcast. As, I mentioned, as we mentioned at the top of the show in our new intro we have, we're available everywhere podcasts are found. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a bevy of other places. So check us out today. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Signing off for Gene, I'm Nathaniel. This has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode 